UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, howling in the street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Okay, here we go. And thank you for doing this, by the way. This should be really fun. How, how I, long are we I, on for? Oh, 45 minutes an hour. Hey guys, uh, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have a fascinating guest for you guys tonight. Um, I, I found out about this man from Coast to Coast AM. You know, I'm a big fan of Coast to Coast AM. I always give a shout out to the show where I where I saw the person on because I feel like that's important because uh, Coast to Coast is doing some really good work with, you know, like George Knapp and uh, Connie Willis and George Norrie and all those people. And, uh, I'm, you know, I was always a big fan of Art Bell. But who I have with me tonight is I have Christopher O'Brien. And he's written books called Mysteries in the San Luis Valley and Stalking the Herd. And I'm going to get more into the more he's written more books than that. That's the ones we're going to be like kind of focusing on tonight. And more about my guest, um, Christopher O'Brien investigated over 1000 paranormal events reported in the San Luis Valley, located in south central Colorado, north central New Mexico, working with law enforcement officials military ranchers and an extensive network of sky watchers he's documented what documented what may be the most intense wave of unexplained activity ever seen in a single region of north america his 10-year investigation resulted in three books in the mysterious valley trilogy the mysterious valley enter the valley and secrets of the mysterious valley his meticulous field investigation of ufo reports unexplained livestock deaths haunted sites native american legends cryptozoology Secret military activity and the folklore found in the world's largest alpine valley, excuse me, has produced one of the largest databases of unusual occurrences gathered from a single geographic region. He is currently working with a team of specialists installing a high-tech video surveillance and hard data monitoring system in and around the San Luis Valley. His latest book, Stalking the Herd, is being called the most important book ever written, examining our relationship with cattle mutilations and how this is manifested in the modern, you know, mutilation mystery. And uh, and I just want to give him a big warm welcome to the show. Uh, Christopher, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm good. Doing good. Uh, yeah. So uh, let me ask you this. Like, um, what kind of originally drew your attention to this area? And how did this all start with you? Are you a paranormal experiencer yourself? Yes. I, I was followed around by three non-human entities three o'clock in the morning when I was uh, six, about ready to turn uh, to seven years old. And uh, and that changed my life. It was, uh, it didn't leave any room for interpretation. Uh, <laughs> it, um, it it definitely rocked my world. And it, it made me instantly, you know, as a very smart little kid, I kind of was off the charts on uh, intelligence tests and whatever, but... Uh, too bad. Too bad it hasn't <laughs> hasn't lasted all the way into my elder years here. But uh, um, it 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 definitely changed my reality view, and it made me um, devour anything that I could possibly become aware of that had to do with um, UFOs, uh, Bigfoot, uh, haunted sites. You know all these things that we uh, are interested in. I'm very skeptical, though. I, I do require uh, more than just anecdotal information, and uh, I'll, I'll make note of it. I'll make note of, of, of people's experiences, and I, you know, I did, um, I, I put 300,000 miles on my truck in six years 
going around interviewing ranchers and experiencers and people that have uh, had unusual experiences uh, when I was living in Colorado, uh, especially. Um, but prior to that, uh, I found out about the San Luis Valley when I was about 10 years old and I was at Safeway with my mom, you know, doing our, our, our weekly grocery shopping. And this was back in 1967. I think it was October uh, or possibly November, but uh, in the fall of 67. And I remember seeing the Enquirer, uh, you know, sitting there at the checkout uh, lane for the grocery store. And, and it said, flying saucers killed my horse, in quotes. And there was a picture of these people looking down at this horribly mutilated horse. And um, I just bugged my mom for the 50 cents or whatever to, to, to buy it. And she did, uh, reluctantly. And, uh, of course, I read the article, which is quite extensive, I must say. I had read it before I even got home. And they talked about this valley uh, in Colorado called the San Luis Valley and how this horse that uh, they called Snippy had been found, uh, you know, one day it was perfectly healthy. The next day it was, you know, all the skin was taken from the shoulders to the tip of the nose and all the hide, the hair, the, the meat, the tendons, uh, brain was gone with no break in the cranium. The oh, heart God. and lungs, heart and lungs were gone with no uh, no break into the chest cavity. Uh, this totally blew my mind. As as a, like I said, a pretty bright ten year old. And wouldn't you know it? Uh, <laughs> fast forward to 1989, I ended up moving to the San Luis Valley. I uh, it was kind of like a default uh, move. I was moving to Santa Fe, and I couldn't stand it there. And some friends of mine lived up in the in the in the SOV, and they said, "Hey, we got two extra bedrooms. Come up here." So I, I moved up there, and uh, man, I had, I may not have done that if I had known now what I know, if I had known then what I know now. It's uh, it's a very very well, active I, is spooky it, is place. It, is paranormally active is like Skinwalker Ranch or um, the Alaska Triangle. I mean, just I wrote some places down that you know that i feel are similar there's okay we have the chestnut ridge that's kind of where i live i don't know if you knew that i'm from oh yeah oh, oh you're in so, you're out here in pennsylvania yeah oh so yeah right by the chestnut ridge like yeah that's is a real active paranormal hotspot in big time yeah it runs like right into that ridge but then there's also the uh, skinwalker ranch the alaska triangle then there's the bridgewater triangle up in Massachusetts, where supposedly they have Pukwudgies. I'm sure you've heard of that. But I mean, like all these places have their own like thing. It seems like the San yeah. Luis Valley is kind of notorious for cattle mutilations and UFOs. So I had to pick two things, right? Is that it's it's more than well, that. Well, and, like, and other ecology. things too, other things too. But those are the two main things. Um, we do have quite a quite a unique um, subculture, uh, the Hispanic uh, subculture in the south end of the valley many of them direct descendants of the original conquistadores who arrived in the in the mid to late 1500s and early 1600s uh you can go into some hispanic uh, little little villages and towns and stuff and see red-haired blue-eyed uh hispanics uh, which is pretty pretty unusual but they have a complete subcultural belief system and very uh very interesting uh, you know stories about and current examples of witchcraft and uh, occult crime and, and so-called skinwalker-type activity. In other words, uh, adepts who are able to do uh, shape-shifting and turn themselves into balls of light when they're in a hurry and zip, zip around or into animal forms. I, on my database, I got quite a number of, of sighting reports where people call the report a witch. Uh, you know, on, on the move. We had flying humanoid reports in um, 20, uh, 2009 through 2011. There were about 19 or 20 uh, reports of a kind of like a gargoyle type creature that was uh, spotted uh, early mornings by the local garbage man, the post postal uh, delivery guy, uh, joggers along the Rio Grande. This is all around centered around a town called Del Norte. Which is on the western side of the valley. Um, so I'm you know, I could go on. There's tons of stuff. 
I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to cut you. I was like, this is exactly why I wanted to get you on the show. This stuff is like, I'm like, I'm. If you can see, I'm cheesing big time. Like, this is right up my alley. Like, I'm. So, I love the paranormal. When you bring up witchcraft and stuff like this, like, it. it I can't believe how paranormally active this place is. It's amazing. I'm sorry. I didn't yeah, mean yeah, and and you know, even people that live there are not aware of it because it is kept really close to the vest. These little communities, uh, oftentimes word of these events, it's very, very difficult to to pin things down because they, they're very secretive about it, and uh, you really have to dig to get uh, to get people to open up, and you have to be a local, most importantly. Uh, like if you went there and tried to do what I did, uh, it would take you, you know, three or four years of establishing yourself to even be talked to. Um, I I was able to, because so much was going on, I was able to, uh, you know, become kind of the unofficial deputy of weirdness in about five counties. Uh, they had my, my number and, and stuff at the dispatcher uh, desk, and oftentimes they they just tell them, hey, call this guy, <laughs> you know. So um, I, I I had a whole network of, of sources who were feed me reports, whether it's forest service workers, uh, fish and wildlife officers, uh, county sheriffs and deputies, town cops, uh, you know, ranchers, farmers, uh, you know, people that are aware of my work. You know, I had a, a pretty well, act, you know, activated uh, phone tree and, and phone network uh, going, you know, it's all pre-internet, of course. Uh, 92 to 2002 is when I did my 10-year uh, research, you know, program. Um, but Again, I think all these things do have a connecting point. Oftentimes when we had uh, these cheap fireworks, I call them, they're like giant bottle rockets that people would see and not know what they were, think, thinking that it's some sort of firework when it's actually much bigger. It's like a, a one of your commercial fireworks that uh, that are duds and they fizzle out before they do anything. But, but they, you know, I, I've seen them with a perfectly overcast sky I was higher in elevation than it was. I was up the side of the, the Sangres looking down, and I saw it arc out over about a quarter mile over the, the tree line, you know, on the creeks that go out into the valley. There's, they have trees along them, big cottonwood trees and stuff. And this thing lit up the tops of the trees. Now, you can't tell me that was a meteor. You know, the first thing that a skeptic is going to say is, oh, well, you're just watching meteors. Well, <clears throat> I've seen them so close to me. I've seen the smoke trail. Uh, I've had people report report them. Um, I had one guy call me and says, I, I, I don't know how to you know, tell you this, but I just saw a Tinkerbell crash. <laughs> they even have little well, is ones. Is this an orb? I'm, I don't understand. What is, you said firework, but what is a, it? A cheap orb? firework is the only thing that I can I can call them. They're a, a weird atmospheric effect, like a... Like a uh, a giant bottle rocket that's fizzing out and doesn't explode. And it arcs, you know, you'll see it for about anywhere from two or three seconds to up to six or seven seconds. And, and those are rare. The longer, longer duration ones are rare. And do they you, happen. Do, you to do with like, I'm sorry. I was going to say, do you, do you think this has to do with the energy in the area? Do yeah. Yeah. They presage, they announce periods when we have other activity beginning. So in other words, these things kind of introduce the wave of activity. And then the UFOs show up. We might have a cattle mutilation, uh, have aberrant social behavior. Uh, like one weekend when just all hell broke loose in the valley, it was amazing uh, how much stuff went on. We had 12 fires. We had um, a, a, a socialite wedding in the main town. And the the you know it was like one of the matriarchs uh, patriarchs of the valley, and his eldest daughter got married, and and the younger sister was the maid of honor, and at the reception the the younger sister knifed the older sister the bride to death. Oh uh, my god! Just <laughs> and uh, and then That's we had these weird hay fires. Moon, right? All these yeah, it was actually during the full moon, and we had all these. All these stacks of hay, uh, there was three or four of them in different locations, were catching on fire and nobody knew how, how it was happening because it didn't conform to your your normal haystack fire. 
Um, and, you know, we had weird weather and, and uh, just clear sky hail, I think, in, in, uh, in one instance. So then the cheap fireworks show up and they kind of zip around and a few people report them. And I'll, I usually end up seeing them as well because I'm out, you know, looking so much. And then that'll be the end of it. Uh, it's almost like there's a, a self-contained little litany of, of things that happen. One, two, three, four, five, and then boom, it's over. So um, I've been able to, you know, determine, because I have such an extensive database and I, I do, you know, I did spend a lot of time analyzing it, looking for patterns, looking for commonalities, looking for, uh, you know, correlations and uh, connections uh, that may exist between these seemingly divergent uh, phenomenal events, but uh, there seems to be a connecting point. And I agree hundred percent that that uh, yeah, we should be looking more into these types of uh, connecting points and areas uh, than 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 just having blinders on and only looking at UFOs, only looking at Bigfoot, only looking at. Uh, occult crime or only looking at uh, weird societal so you know societal aberrations and and weird weather or whatever these uh, individual subjects are i think we need to be open-minded enough to uh entertain the possibility that there may be some connecting point i think there is myself what do you i was going to say what do you think that is and i was going to address each topic as we kind of got deeper into this like what I what I took some notes as you were talking like I wanted to cover the Native American folklore the cryptids the witchcraft the orbs the cattle mutilations and the UFOs like what what are your thoughts I mean like I, I can I can go over those each one separately so we don't forget but like I guess we could start off with this like what okay like I was gonna say what do you think the Native American folklore says about what's going on in the area do they have a idea or do they just kind of have a general idea with like what's going on with bigfoot or do they no no there's there's they have something to say about all of it but you you'd be hard pressed to get all the different versions of it because this part of the of the southern colorado south central colorado i mean the san luis valley is 145 miles long by about 70 miles wide geologically the lower portion of it is in new mexico and it ends down at Taos, New Mexico. And the upper portion is 145 miles north up into almost central um, uh, Colorado. And uh, it was the only area in the country overlapped by three major regional groups of Indians. Uh, during the summer months, the Plains Indians, the Great Basin Indians, like the Paiute and the Ute, um, and then the... Um, the Southwest Indians, uh, Navajo, Hopi, Apache, they would all peacefully coexist in the San Luis Valley doing sacred vision quests, uh, gathering sacred objects from one of the you know supposed four sacred mountains, which is Blanca Peak, the highest mountain in the valley. And uh, 13 different Indian tribes have been documented as visiting the San Luis Valley. Now, no other place in the, in the continent uh, to my knowledge, uh, can can make this particular uh, claim. And uh, you'd be really hard-pressed to get all the Native American traditions uh, as it relates to the valley. Most of my knowledge comes from the, the Tiwa, who are the uh, natives that live at the, San, you know, the Taos Pueblo, which is the oldest building in North America, they say. It's been there almost 1,500 years. Um, and uh, the Navajo, uh, who made sacred pilgrimages to the sacred mountain of the east, which they called Cisna Jenny, the Black Sash Medicine Belt, which is Mount Blanca or Blanca Peak. And then the Apache, the Hickoria, who are just over the western edge of the southern end of the valley uh, in Dulce, which is 40 miles from the San Luis Valley. A lot of people don't realize it. The Hickory Apaches are just a hop, skip, and a jump away from, from the valley, and that's insane. That's supposedly a base, right? I mean, I I've covered it before. There's I've covered the do, supposed Dulce Wars. Like I don't know if it really is, but uh, I mean, like, I, mean, I know you're skeptical. So I, I, and I appreciate that, by the way, that you're skeptical. Like I I like I'm a little yeah. skeptical myself. I'd like to see evidence, right? I've done I've done too much digging 
and and making inroads with the locals down there. There's something there, but I think the uh, the alien angle has been used to um, kind of make it uh, unpalatable for uh, you know skeptical types and government people and military and stuff. I I think that they they're using that to uh, kind of make the whole stories of a base there unbelievable or non-believable when in fact there probably is a facility there but i don't think it has anything to do with aliens i think there's uh you know project gas buggy in 1968 uh i think was the that 47 megaton nuclear weapon that was exploded just under the west side of the town in dulce there uh was done to uh hide the fact that they were burying uh you know, it spent fuel rods and nuclear waste from the Los Alamos lab. He had a tunnel going from Los Alamos straight up to Dulce and were hauling all their, their nasty nuclear waste under there. And, and gas buggy was a perfect cover because the residual radiation there uh, would effectively screen or hide the fact that there was still uh, you know, fish, fissionable material that was being stored right there. Uh, and I think the, the alien part of it, uh, I've looked into the, you know, the whole Paul Benowitz scenario. Um, Greg, Greg Bishop, who wrote the book about it, uh, Project Beta, is a very good friend of mine, and I've done quite a bit of uh, brain picking with him and, and others. Ron Regeer, who knew Benowitz very well, and corresponded with him and and i you know i think it's a what's going on with that because i've had tim swartz on my phone i I, remember my show i mean i like tim a lot but i mean like i'm i'm open to different opinions i'm open to people the whole myrna hansen uh uh, frank uh what's his name phil schneider and and um who was the other one krista tilton um tal levesque and you know john uh, john uh, uh what the heck's his name um the underground base uh, guy, Branton, is another one. Uh, I think these people are just myth mongers, and they're kind of creating this whole this whole super meme that um, a lot of people have glommed onto and consider to be real. But all these people and all their stories have huge holes in them, and uh, you know, I again, I'm. I'm <laughs> show me the beef i want to i want to see some evidence i want to see you know something that i can i can reliably analyze and uh and look at all the rest is just anecdotal evidence uh that has not been proven now all the mutilations that happened around there in the 70s now that was real uh gabe valdez the new mexico state patrolman who was stationed there uh he was head of the uh, the barracks there. He he investigated almost close to a hundred mutilation cases around there, and and also investigated quite a number of uh, you know un, unmarked helicopter sightings and uh, strange lights and other things uh, as well. And you know I I spent a lot of time with these people uh, and and spent quality time uh, getting brought up to speed on on their investigative work and when you kind of put it all together it, it it just you know it's like a uh it's like a big psyop really yeah but like i mean like it's weird because like okay this is why i wanted to get you on the show because i know you believe that like i've, I've listened to a couple of shows i don't believe time. anything man you'll well, never hear me say right. i believe something <laughs> No, I'm I, sorry, think, I didn't mean to say it like that. I meant to say that, like, I know you. I think I think you think that the counter mutilations are government, but you also believe that there's something really paranormal going on in the San Luis Valley. Am I right about that? Well, I I think there's there's something uh, paranormal at the core of the uh, cattle mutilation mystery. I think the high strange cases that happened at the be- happened at the beginning of the wave, uh, you know, a particular wave. Generally, the first cases are high strange. Uh, to the point where you can't explain them with modern veterinary forensic science. And uh, and then a lot of copycat cases and other cases, red herring cases, seem to be human perpetrated, which make up the bulk of the uh, the real cases. Most of them, 
let's put it this way. I went out on around 200 cases where I physically went and saw the animals. Uh, out of those, 160 were like equivocal. You know, you could go, eh. And out of those 40 that are left, I'd say they were done without question. They were done with a sharp implement in two, two instances with a, a, a high heat instrument. Um, and out of those, there were seven or eight maybe, um, maybe up to ten, but definitely seven or eight, that just you cannot explain. And, uh, you know, that's what, 2%? Yeah, but what what do you think that is at the core that like I mean like I mean like I think it's this- something that's been alongside humans for eons. I think it's why we uh, sacrifice animals to the gods. I think it's uh, the same. Uh, it's like some sort of predatory force that uh, maybe is dimensional. Maybe it's uh, it has um, some sort of ability to hide from uh you know from us uh and and it's very very uh good at it i think it's something that's been lurking alongside humans uh since at least uh, the middle kingdom of egypt which is uh supposedly our earliest known uh mentions of unexplained livestock deaths the earliest i've been able to to locate is um, 1606 in London, England, or hundreds of sheep are being mutilated and left behind. Um, their inward parts missing. Uh, some sundry conjectures, uh, but most would agree that it tended toward fireworks. Was the last uh, line in the entry in the the court records of James the first, and we're talking hundreds and hundreds of sheep, and that's that's a big deal. Uh, especially if you're living back then. Uh, so, you know, there is something that does not conform to a human government scenario. And like I tell people, any explanation that you come up with, if we're going to do a debate, I'll take the devil's advocate position and I'll win every time. Because no matter what theory you, you are thinking about, there's way more, you know, there's enough, there's enough evidence or data to support that theory and make it, make it plausible, but there's way more evidence to refute it. So what does that leave me with? It means there are multiple groups with multiple agendas piggybacking their agendas on top of one another, and at the very core is something ancient and primordial and predatory that's lived alongside humans for, like I said, for centuries. And do you think that's where the UFOs come into play and the orbs? Could be, sure. What are your thoughts on what those are? Could be. Um, I I think that it's it's like um, finger puppets. I think it's a theater. I think a lot of it is, uh, uh, I think Greg Bishop came up with with an interesting theory of that we are co-creating uh, the the phenomenon. Um, I I've often said that UFO sightings are like a rough sketch on a canvas, and we we fill in all the the uh, dark and shading and, and color that we give it all the details. I've had you know twelve people have a group sighting, and there's a few things that everybody kind of agrees on, but then you know duration, um, actual. Uh, sequence of events, um, actual descriptions of what they saw can differ wildly uh, within the same group of people that have a, a shared experience. So there seems to be something that's kind of conforming to a person's expectations. It's conforming to a person's front-loading uh, in terms of you know what they know about uh, what they're looking at. Uh, people that have had experiences before tend to be more accurate with their descriptions. First-time witnesses tend to be the most um, unreliable, for lack of a better term. Um, so, 
you know, it's uh, well, I, it's really tough to say. Why, I mean, why do you think the government would? I be think they're more terrestrial than we are. <laughs> I think we're the aliens. That? That's a good. That's a good place to go with this. Like, what do you mean? Like, you mean they've been here or like, longer than we have? Whatever. And, and, and maybe we were brought here. So maybe they're they're more terrestrial than we are. Maybe maybe the reason why they showed up after we started popping off nuclear weapons was because we scared the bejesus out of them, and they they were going, "What the hell's going on?" And they start when they first showed up in the in forty seven, forty eight, forty nine, fifty, they were showing up in huge flotillas. I mean, there are as many as a hundred you know objects in a single sighting. Uh, and and that was like a show of force to let us know, hey, you know, it's like we stirred up a hornet's nest that we don't know is here alongside us. They could be Wait, sub. Question: I got a, I got a, I got a skeptical question on that on the side of UFOs. I just want to say, like, what are your thoughts on ancient sightings, like and, and like and you know, like stuff that we see in like paintings and you know, they say that like it goes back to you know the times of Egypt. They they said that, they, but you're saying that they really showed up, and we they maybe they were always around, but they really showed up in droves when we started popping off. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. The the or the big flyovers, the armadas, the the Farmington sighting, the Washington D.C. Uh, uh, you know, two weekends in July '52. Uh, you know, they they showed up with big flotillas, uh, and and like the very first modern sighting of uh, Kenneth Arnold. There were nine objects. Uh, there wasn't one, so I think that they um, they showed up en masse uh, to kind of warn us that hey, you know, we're here too. You're putting us in our ecosystem that we share. You're putting that in jeopardy by by nu- utilizing you know nuclear weapons and. Uh, do you, do you think that's what's behind the the cattle mutilations? Like people say that they're that the government would be doing it because they want to see if there's radiation in the cows. Do you buy into that or? Well, David Perkins, my uh, co-author for my next book and uh, my longtime uh, best friend and mentor, uh, he was the one that came up with that theory back in 1979, and he noticed he he saw a map of of uh, distribution. Of radi- above ground radiation from the hundred, you know, nuclear tests that we we popped off in the uh, Nevada test site, and then of course Trinity was the other one, um, the first one, and uh, he noticed that all the fallout. If you took a map of that where the fallout ended up, and overlaid it on a map of uh, where mutilations occur, you have a perfect match. Uh, if you go downwind and downstream. Of where we utilize, mine, enrich, weaponize, uh, store, use in power plants. If you go downwind and downstream, those are the areas of high incidence for cattle mutilations. That can't be an accident, or maybe it is, but I don't think so. And um, he he's the one that came up with that theory. It's the only one that really has some legs, and uh, I remember talking to him after Fukushima happened in 2011 saying that radiation cloud that came over here you know went right over central Oregon and you know maybe you know we, we don't have many mutilations west of the continental divide right I mean very few over the years there have been some in Washington some in Oregon some in California a few in in Nevada some in in uh in uh, Utah, but compared to Kansas, Nebraska, Texas, you know, Missouri, Colorado, New Mexico, I mean, it's it just, it, they dwarf <laughs> the little little numbers from west of the Rockies. Well, I told, <laughs> I told David, I said, look, if there's a, some, something to your radiation, uh, you know, correlation, we should be seeing some some cases, an outbreak of cases in Oregon. And sure enough, in, in what, 2018, 2019, we had 21 cases, which is unprecedented. And uh, so I kind of predicted that. <laughs> I should have written an article and, and really gone out on a limb, but uh, I will next time. 
Uh, and, say, uh, you know what this makes me worry about? Like, and I, you know, when you talk about the radiation, it makes me think of that spill that just happened in Ohio. And it makes me think that maybe some of that stuff came down here into Pennsylvania. I had bought in C60 because I don't know. I heard C60 can protect you from that kind of stuff. But I mean, like that was just me being paranoid just because I didn't know how bad the spill was. And I don't know what lengths they go to cover this stuff up because we know they do. Right. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, did you have any opinion on what happened on that? Did, I mean, I know it's not your area. But I, it's I no, no, we got to, we just off the edge of the uh, the initial plume from that. It, it passed just to the west of me. I'm, I'm in upstate New York and uh, right above the Pennsylvania border, about halfway across the uh, top top tier of the state. You know, kind of Elmira. Uh, uh, I, I, lived, oh, I thought you were in San Luis Valley. I'm, no, I'm sorry. no, I haven't you been there in years. I, I moved there from there uh, 21 years ago. Oh, okay. okay. I, I I spent uh, fourteen years in uh, Sedona, Arizona. Oh, that's awesome. That's because they don't have they don't have mutilations in Arizona. <laughs> so, do you think we have something to worry about about that spill over here, or did you worry about it? I wouldn't be fishing in any streams down downstream of there. Uh, you know, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't be hunting if it's not the chronic wasting disease in the deer herds that'll get you. It's this. This crap that uh, they spilled into the ecosystem. Wow, that's uh, so. Uh, let me ask you this: since you're from this area, have you ever looked into the ridge at all? And like, what do you think about? I, it? I've been a huge fan of Stan Gordon's for years. He's been on and, my show. Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, Stan is one of my heroes. I've, you know, I've got his books. Um, I, anytime I see his name, I, I stop what I'm doing and I pay attention. He is. One of the true pioneers, uh, him, Lauren Coleman. There's a few out there, uh, Peter uh, Jordan, Tommy Bland, people that uh, you know were very active in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, we're getting up there in years now, but uh, boy, they're just absolute encyclopedias of knowledge. And um, you know, I've kind of taken it upon myself to, you know, at least uh, become associates with these folks and. Uh, you know, learn, one of the pick their that, brain, learn what I can. Yeah, one, one of the stories that Stan talks about, I don't know if you ever heard him say this, but it's interesting. He talks about these two hunters that, and, and this happened a, a lot in his, his Bigfoot and UFO sightings. I, what I'm about to tell you is he said that two hunters see a UFO, right? And, and then uh, the one, I'm just going to fast forward it. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but the one hunter fires a shot. There's, okay, there's, so there's a UFO. And then along this fence line, and there's two big. Things, I'm right? very familiar with the story, yeah. Yeah. So what what freaks me out about that story is when the hunter fires the tracer into the Bigfoot, the Bigfoot puts his hand up in the air, and then it just disappears. It makes me think that we're in some kind of simulated reality because, or yeah. or it's a hologram, right? Like it's like being projected at us or something. Right. And think? there there was a case in Montana where um, a farmer saw a Bigfoot, and he. He he shot it, and the and the Bigfoot did this whole dramatic thing of oh you got me and it staggered around and and it you know <laughs> went down to the ground its legs went up you know it was like a cartoon, and then the the farmer's going oh man I got him I got him and the Bigfoot got up and ran away. <laughs> uh, that's that's one, of, one of my favorite stories. <laughs> that's um, hilarious. Yeah, that's a good one. That's in uh, Mystery Stocks of Prairie, but Keith Wolverton, the Cascade uh, County Sheriff up there in Great Falls. He just died so, a few months ago. What are your thoughts on, I mean, like, I'm a big fan. I'm a big ufology nerd. Like, I, I, I but I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical, too, like you. But, like, I, I'm also a big fan of, like, all the old abduction cases. Like, I was a fan of Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs. Like, do you think their work was legit or are you more skeptical of it? And what are your thoughts? I don't thoughts know. It, it, why, why do these abduction researchers all tend to attract the cases that conform to their theories and validate their theories? Isn't there some sort of weird uh, kind of reverse confirmation bias going on there? I, you know, Leo Sprinkle always got the the, the benevolent space brother abductees. Uh, 
you know, Bud and, and David Jacobs got the spooky ones, the scary ones. Yeah, you're uh, right. It's funny, right? They and all the people like they they you know like David Jacobs would always get the uh, the the only person that I've seen who has like like a, a little bit of contrast was Daryl Sims because Daryl would say that he talked to abductees and contactees, but Daryl yeah that, yeah that they're like yeah and, um, and John John Carpenter too. Yeah, like but of course he he know, sold his his patient files to Robert Bigelow and got in a lot of trouble for that. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Oh yeah, that was a big scandal back in the nine, late nineties. So, do you think there were abductions going on, or do you think people were being taken? Or what yeah, you yeah, I, I think so. Um, but like Stephen Greer says, it's all military. I don't, I don't think so. There's something else at the core of this. Uh, you know, there. But again, I think it's all theater. You know. Well, my favorite X Files episode was the the two uh, intelligence officers that that stage an abduction, and they have like you know alien costumes on, and they abduct this guy. And as they're finishing up after they tranked him or whatever, all of a sudden the ship comes down, a real alien comes out and abducts the fake aliens. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's such a you great. Know, you know, what I never understood, like, why did the aliens always have to probe somebody? You know, that had to be a joke. They don't like, always do that, but uh, I, I didn't you know. think so. I didn't think that was like a the real no. thing, right? Like, I I had uh, my really one outstanding abduction case was a, a single mom. She was a rancher, super hard worker. She ran her own horse ranch, trained horses, and uh, her grandmother had told the family about these strange contacts and uh, visitations. And then her mom started having them, and then she started having them. And she said that hers were were scary, but the one alien that seemed to be in charge of all the others was taller than the others and um, would dress up in a gold lame cape because he... The alien knew she liked it because it reminded her of Elvis. <laughs> I love that. Oh my and she, God, and she fell in love. She fell in love with them. And they, you know, there was, uh, she wouldn't go into details, but there was intimate contact. And uh, she had kept a journal of when these events happened, right? And she lived on the other side of the valley, directly west of me, about 20 miles, 25 miles away. And um, I checked her, her journal, and I wrote down some dates. And sure enough, I had, you know, activity reported uh, in the valley, uh, in some of it in direct correlation on the west side of the valley, the nights that she claimed that she had abductions. And then another, another thing that she told me is that uh, the government um, was obviously interested, she felt, in, in, you know, what was happening to her. Uh, because her her mail was getting opened, and uh, she'd get letters and stuff, and they they'd be open already. And so she, um, the thing that made her get a post office box, you know, and not have a mailbox at the end of her her driveway, which is you know considerable, about two hundred yards long, maybe one hundred and fifty, two hundred yards long. She said one day she noticed an old. A uh, luxury car, black, of course, at the end of her driveway. And these, t- she said, the Blues Brothers got out, and they started rifling through my mail. <laughs> 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 she said they had pork, you know, pork pie hats and skinny black ties. She had, you know, her spotting scope, her binoculars on them, and they were, you know, with the wraparound sunglasses, and they were going through her mail, and and they just put it back in the box and drove off. And she said, that's it. She reported it to the to the sheriff and to the you know postal authorities, and so she set up her own uh, her own box in town, um, and the uh, dispatcher for the sheriff was the one that told me about her and said, "This you got to talk to this woman. She's been going through some pretty amazing things." And uh, so that was referred to me by a sheriff. That was one of those you know deputy unofficial deputy of weirdness. Uh, leads 
That's so cool. So let me ask you this. I, I think we kind of went over this, but I just kind of want to get like what the scene was like. Like, what was it like? I mean, like, were you, I was going to say, what was it like living in the, the, the valley for that one, the San Luis Valley? And were you kind of like the Stan Gordon? You know how Stan Gordon set up a, a UFO hotline here in Pennsylvania yeah. for like yeah. years? People would call. Was that kind of what you did there? Absolutely. Yeah. That's so why I got all these reports. Louis Valley. I had people call me in real time and say, run up on your roof quick. It's headed your way. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like it was pandemonium. Uh, there were nights where, well, there were weeks where I would have reports every night, uh, some during the day, and then uh, a huge flurry of reports. I had got 17 phone calls, uh, 17 separate reports from what I figured was five different events. Uh, but 17 people contacted me in one day. That was the height of it. I mean, okay, so here's here's what I, I, I've noticed. It seems like, I don't know if this is for sure, and I'm, I'm having my friend Ryush, and he, he's a UFO researcher too. Like, he, I want him to comment on this too. He's in the chat right now. That's why I said that. Like, I, it seems like the UFO activity has died down recently. Do you feel that or like, or do you think it's picked up? I mean, it seems like there's government sightings, but as far as like the abductions and contact and like massive, like, UFO yeah, sightings, yeah, I think it has it, prevalent anymore. What do you think? It, it ebbs and flows. Uh, I mean, it's been doing that ever since the, the late forties. So, uh, you know, you, we, we tend, it's interesting. We tend to, I've noticed, uh, you know, looking back and, and, and trying to do some number, number crunching and look at the uh, the onset, you know, what causes waves of activity to happen. And one thing I've noticed is that there's two things in, this, in the culture that I've noticed that may, it may be interesting to uh, check into further. And that is, if we're in a shooting war overseas, sighting events tend to go down. And as soon as that shooting war is, is over and our troops come home, we tend to have a wave of, of sighting events. Um, and also, uh, we, we tend to see increases of sighting waves when there's a change between one party and the next in the executive branch of our government. Uh, anybody want to want to double check me on the, these statements? Go ahead. But uh, I, I think it's interesting that... Uh, there seems to be a correlation, definitely with the with the military coming home from overseas in a shooting war. That's that's definitely when they came home from Korea, we had a big wave. Uh, when they came home from uh, Vietnam, we had a big wave. When we had a change in the uh, from the Democrats to the Republicans, we had a big wave in sixty seven, sixty eight. When there was a change uh, between Carter uh, in the, the the Democrat and Ronald Reagan the Republican in 1980, we we had a wave. Uh, I, I, I it's probably just coincidence, but at least I'm looking. You know, I don't hear about anybody else really attempting to do any number crunching and. And looking at, at these types of correlations that may or may not be be valid and uh, and possibly uh, noteworthy. Yeah, and and that 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 brings me to uh, one of the last topics I wanted to talk to you about. You're currently working on a um, UFO project. I saw a little bit up on your website. I didn't yeah. understand it. Like, can you tell the audience like what you're currently doing? Yeah, I think it's fascinating though. Well, I wanted to try to hotwire the valley with uh, surveillance cameras way back in the uh, early 90s. And I, I, I figured out a way to do it, but it would have cost me about a million dollars uh, with the kinds of transmitters that you needed, all pre-internet, of course, and uh, the types of camera gear that I would need. Very expensive. Now, you can do a triangulated system for under $1,000, and they all can be coordinated to work in concert with one another. So what we've done is we've started a, a group uh, called uh, UFODAP, which is the UFO Data Acquisition Project, ufodap.com. And uh, if you want to find out more, 
And what we do is we've, um, I have an engineer who's spent six years designing software that allows the cameras to coordinate over the internet. So if we have an event triggered by motion and it conforms to particular parameters, like it's not going to pick up to turn on with a bird or airplane or, uh, you know, Monday insects and things like that. Uh, it, it only turns on if it's noteworthy. And the nearest camera zooms in and the other two cameras are given coordinate data so that they can swing around automatically and then follow with motion tracking, motion track the object. And at the same time, we go into record mode for a magnetometer, which uh, records any changes in the Earth's magnetic field, a, um, a gra gravimeter or a gravitometer, um, which uh, change uh, detects any changes in the Earth's gravity, and uh, a radio frequency spectrum analyzer, which zooms up and down the band looking for any any sort of uh, peaks and valleys, and uh, you know you can put as many as six different cameras on your system. Three is is the you know preferred minimum. Um, we also have uh, plugins so that you can plug in radar. You can plug in, uh, you know, lasers, uh, laser experiments, see if the uh, gravitational field or the magnetic field bends the light. Um, also, we've uh, got a, you know, a flight radar uh, 24, which will give you any transpondered aircraft in the area. So you can discount that in case that they trigger the event. Um, and also space.com, you can get uh, same-day images of the area that you're monitoring uh, at the time of the event. Uh, it's a little, you know, it costs money to, to get that, uh, the satellite images. But, uh, you know, there's a chance that we might be able to tie, tie in with, uh, with ground-based uh, observations. Uh, the cheapest uh, system that we have uh, is, is about $400.00. And it goes up to about 5000 for a full-blown system. We're in nine countries and 53 locations, including Skinwalker Ranch. Right next door to Skinwalker Ranch, there's another system going in. And uh, we're in South America, Australia, Europe, um, eight states in the United States. And what do you, I mean, do you think you'll be able to monitor like UFO activity, like with like yeah. the technology you have, like, do you think you'll be able to? We've already it? done it. <laughs> yeah. What do you, okay. That's a big, good question. Like, what are you getting? Like, what do these look like? I mean, it's a, not, things, nothing slam dunk yet, but, um, um, you know, and we've, let's put it this way. We were one of about five different groups that were trying to do this and we got there first. One of the other groups was all based um, out of Chicago, the CUFOS, the, the uh, Center for UFO Studies folks, um, you know, uh, Rick Squitek and Mark Rodiger and um, Alexander Went, who's a professor at uh, Ohio State. Um, they were trying to do the same thing, but we beat them to the punch. And they said, well, since you've already got the hardware and the software, uh, we're not going to try to do that because, you know, why rebuild the wheel? Um, what can we do to help? And, and they, they called themselves UFO data. So we figured, hey, we'll get the data. We'll let you, you know, hotshot academics and scientists, we'll let you analyze the data. So we've combined our, our groups and uh, we're, the, we're the data part and they're the, uh, you know, we're the data gathering part and they're the data readers and, and analysts. So... Uh, so we're starting to get that, that network going, and there is no substitute for hard scientific data. This is the obvious next step. And with the technology now affordable and um, software uh, is now being written, targeting software, motion tracking, uh, you know, record on motion function, all these things uh, could add up to, you know, some pretty impressive data if we can get three camera views of a single event with magnetic and gravitational and radio frequency data. We also have a special analog system that has a blaze grating that goes over the lens so that at night, if you get these uh, colorful lights, 
the blaze grating will break the light into its light spectra and so that you can analyze uh, very, very uh, closely the, uh, the character of the light. See, I think that's exactly what people need to be doing. Like, I mean, like, yeah. you think the government would do something like that, but, you know, like, they, they, they probably have government sightings. They look like they're filming on UFOs on a potato sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, the UFOs are some, sometimes. They look like they, they are at least the ones they release to the public. You know, or maybe they've released better. Well, they're 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 only releasing the the sanitized, uh, dumbed down, you know, versions. Yeah. They have full color camera footage of those sightings that the F eighteen pilots are getting, and they have uh, radar, uh, magnetic, I'm sure, and also gravitational data as well. They they've got all that kind of of instrumentation on these battle groups, uh, no question about it. And they're only giving us enough to uh, try to stay ahead of the conversation. And I mean, w what's the government's role? It's control. <laughs> That's yeah. their job, right? It's either controlling the population here or elsewhere. And in in, in our case, we're uh, we've got you know what is it? They uh, they 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 just reported that they lost eighty five million dollars worth of F twenty two parts. <laughs> I don't know. Or or this this little um it was some sort of uh like oil valve that uh, cost three hundred and eighty dollars. Uh, NASA bought them for the space program. Well, when they sold them to the to the Air Force, I think they were charging them ten thousand. <laughs> I'm going to ask you real quick before you go, because uh, I know you, you, you're a little bit skeptical, which I like, but like, I wanted to get your opinion on, like, do you think that we've had anti-gravity since the forties? And what are your thoughts on the secret space program? Just, I'd just love to get your opinion on that. I don't know. I, I, I just, it seems to me that if we do have those things that, um, It makes sense why we haven't trotted them out because we wouldn't want the Russians or the Chinese to know that we are so far ahead of them technologically. Either that or they have it already too. And so everybody's kind of playing their cards close to the vest and it's only going to become public knowledge when this stuff's trotted out and used, uh, you know, for, for warfare basically. Uh, yeah. I, I've seen with my own eyes conventional aircraft lit up like UFOs and flown at night over the San Luis Valley mimicking UFO activity. And if I had, hadn't been five miles away, I wouldn't have known that they were the C-130s uh, with blinking lights or th like three planes flying along, each each one like they're three and they're wingtip to wingtip flying along together in formation. And the light would blink across the leading edge of all three planes in perfect sequencing in perfect coordination. So it looked like this huge 300 foot object flying by. And I was able to, uh, you know, to stop my truck, jump out and, and listen and use my binoculars. And I actually was able to, see the outline and and hear the 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 throbbing of the of the Hercules engines um so that's just one example of many of the air force or somebody attempting to do psyop uh operations to assess how these things are are reported do they make reports to the sheriff does the local media pick up on it what is the spin what do the people think that they're seeing and um, so I think there's a lot of, you could call them psychotronic weapons platforms that are being tested over unsspecting populations in an effort to uh, gauge what is going to get a response and what isn't. So um, there's a lot of hanky-panky going on, and everything is so stovepipe in, in the government that the right hand doesn't even know the left hand exists a lot of times, let alone, you know, what it's doing. <laughs> That makes sense. I mean, because when you when you hear these government hearings, like they don't know what's going on, you know. But then there's these black ops. Well, they don't care they either, right? They don't care either. Look, look at 
uh, Kristen Galbrand's last uh, hearing, there was only three people there. <laughs> All those empty chairs. That should tell you something. Yeah. I mean, you would think that more people would be interested in the phenomena. Like, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm well, they are. Nature. Did you see the article? It just came out in Nature, the most prestigious scientific publication in the world. And it was a survey done of of uh, acad academics and scientists asking them, how important is this subject to you? And, uh, yeah, most of them said it's not important at all. And most of them said that they just recently heard about it, you know, with this whole new rebranding going on with the UAP uh, rebranding, which I think is ridiculous. We're dealing with I nuts and bolts objects. it's the most objects. important subject in our life, if it's real. And I think it is very real. Yeah. But I, oh, I'm yeah. just saying, I think it's the most yeah. important. I, I wouldn't important. be spending so much time uh, if I didn't think it was real. I don't do this for my health, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I know, I know. I, would, I don't know why I even say that. I mean, I've, I've studied enough in my life. It's just like, it's like, because we get fed so much misinformation that it's like so hard that we, we have to sift yeah. through all the muddy waters to get to the real stuff, the juicy stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and I don't, I don't, I'm not being skeptical. I'm just like, you know, like, I know you put in a lot of work into the paranormal and I know you have valid points and stuff like that. It's just like, um, I'm talking about the other stuff that we hear, like, you know, I have a lot of people come on my show. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, it's hard to figure out what's what. And you know what I mean? Like, but I think there's definitely like something going on with, I don't know what the phenomena is though. I, I know, I know it reacts to us and it, 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 it you know, it, it, mimic, it does weird things. Like, you know, like, well, there's something, there's something happening that is not human uh, perpetrated or human generated. There's something high strange that's, uh, taking place but it's being it's being manipulated and and it's being uh you know covered up and red herringed by by uh probably the intelligence services and in in the military and i i think it's a obfuscation is that the word uh, yeah. uh there's a there's a whole program of of uh you know trying to keep people always back on their heels so that they can't come up with a workable way to move forward in trying to ascertain what is going on. That's why I think programs like UFODAP are crucial right now. I think it's uh, imperative for us to, uh, you know, work together, network, and start throwing the powers of modern diagnostic science at these, at these uh, mysteries. I agree. I agree. It's like if we could merge the the esoteric researchers with the scientific researchers, we could. And that's the problem with humanity. We never come together, right? Like we always fight with each other, and we always like um, we're always that ones on this side and ones on this side. It's well, like half the country, half the country doesn't want to deal with this because it's of the devil. It's demonic. That's what they really think, right? Yeah, uh, they do. Half the country thinks this is all all demonic. I mean, 40% of the country thinks that we used to live with dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, you know, somebody somebody made a comment on my page the other day. They were like, dinosaurs weren't real. And I was like, I don't know to verify that or not. Is that, or did, I mean, do you, do you think they were real or what do you think? Absolutely. I, I, one of my favorite hobbies is to go out and find agatized dinosaur bone in Utah. And I found a lot. So do you think there was a point where humans lived? Do you, so like it wasn't millions of years ago is what you're saying. It was like yeah. no, it was it was millions of years ago. I was a geology minor in college. You can't you you, you can't convince me that uh, the world is only five thousand years old. I was a I had a job for ten years doing guided private tours of the South Rim of the Grand Canyon. Yeah, that's my church. <laughs> People yeah. ask me, do you ever go to church? Yeah, every time. Well, huh? What are your thoughts on like Tataria and all that and the mud floods? Like, it seems like that they covered that up too. That there was like structures. Like, you might not get into that, but like, it seems like there was a whole civilization that was here once before. I that. I, I have a sense, uh, you know, like Graham Hancock and others, that uh, there was some sort of super civilization that probably existed pre prior to the Ice Age, and that the Younger Dryas, eleven thousand five hundred to twelve thousand years ago. The, the com comets or asteroids that p 
pasted the earth and created the last ice age, um, or created the big burn, which created the the freeze, and then the ice age that that wiped it out, and uh, and we had to start from scratch basically. I I, I have a sense that there's something to that. Uh, again, that's not a popular view in academia, but you know it's it's, it's obvious to me that the Sphinx. You know, the work of Robert Schock at Boston, Boston University is just excellent. And he determined that the Sphinx is a minimum of 10,000 years old based on the erosion patterns. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's vertical erosion that couldn't have occurred there unless there had been lots of rain. And, of course, in, in the Giza Plateau, they haven't had lots of rain for 10,000 years. <laughs> So. Yeah, I had a researcher come on my show one time. I won't keep you much longer. I know we've been going an hour, but I just wanted to say there was a there was a one one uh, researcher who told me he thought the uh, the the uh, the pyramid functioned as a water pump that that, that 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 once before the the pyramid was surrounded by all water. Uh, Stephen Myers is his name. I remember yeah. that. Like, have you ever heard of that theory? Yeah, yeah, and I think it it could possibly have been some sort of energy. Uh, uh, energy generator as well. I think Nikola Tesla and um, an engineer named Christopher Dunn has done a bunch of good work and written a couple books. Uh, one's called the Giza Power Plant. Uh, yeah, there's there's some pretty good theories. I mean, the, there's so much smoke and evidence that something was uh, uh, different about the pyramids because there's no there's no hieroglyphics. There's no stories on the walls in there. And that, that was unlike anything that the Egyptians uh, you can find in the in the Egyptian ruins and stuff. There's there's writing everywhere. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I said this last night. Like modern Egyptologists want you to think that that's the pyramid of Khufu and that there were pharaohs buried in that pyramid. But that's a that's a that's a psyop because all the all the pharaohs were buried up at the road at the Valley of the Kings. Like, exactly. So it's like it's like it's like hard to believe, but like. Yeah, this was well. This was fascinating. But um, do, do you want to tell everybody? Thank you so much for doing this. By the way, do sure. you want to tell everybody where they can find your books and how they can get your books and your website and anything else you want to? Promote? Yeah, I'm, all, all my books uh, are on Amazon. If you want to find out more about UFODAP, it's UFOD as in data, A as in acquisition, P as in project. So UFODAP.com. I'm in the midst of changing my website from one server to another. So I'm uh, I'm I'm not currently up, but I will be uh, in a matter of hopefully a week. Hopefully I'll get it done here within the next week. So, and my website then is ourstrangeplanet.com. It's a strange planet. It's our strange planet. <laughs> It's definitely strange. <laughs> and then, well, thank you so much. And uh, until next time, we'll have to do this again. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. And, uh, yeah, uh, have a good night.